0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a very special appearance from some of my favorite people on Substack at prudentobservations.substack.com. And here we are with Paul Fahrenheit and Kid Ace from the Thomas 777 Circle, as well as the Epic Cloud Center. How are you gentlemen doing today?
1: I'm doing outstanding. How are you, Prude?
0: I cannot complain. Same here. Glad to be on here. I'm glad to have you both on. We're doing something a little different and something that I think all of us were really happy to meet up and have this conversation because it's not necessarily current events. It's not necessarily talking about what's in the news. Instead, we're going to talk about something that I think just about everyone our age and older has probably played at least once or twice, and that is Obsidian Studios through Bethesda, Fallout New Vegas, which came out in 2010. And twelve years later, people can't stop talking about it, and neither can we. And that's what we're going to do today: is just talk a little bit of the politics of Fallout New Vegas. And we took some notes, and uh, we're all here to have a discussion. But um, when was your first? Uh, when did you first play it? For both of you, and uh, at what year was it?
1: So i uh, I got an Xbox Live gift card, I think, for a birthday party when I was fifteen. And I saw that Fallout New Vegas was uh, $10. The game was at least, and on the Xbox Live Store, I bought it for $10 and fell in love with it because it was a well-written game that didn't have a 55-minute-long introduction sequence for a new character like Skyrim did, which I had played before Fallout. Um, so I think 2015 is is when I started playing it. Four years after, or five years after it came out.
2: Gotcha. Well, admittingly, I lean more towards Fallout 3, to be honest. I think back in middle school or high school, I really delved into it, and I didn't realize the political implications of New Vegas, but uh, looking back now, it's definitely uh, very relevant to today. It may not be a current event, but uh, maybe some of the themes are.
0: I was actually kind of a late bloomer to playing Fallout New Vegas. I don't think I played it until maybe 2020. So 10 years later, um, I played more of Skyrim, Fallout, uh, the original two, Fallout 1 and 2, um, just because I'm a sucker for the isometric RPG stuff. But after playing it in 2020, after first starting to read some more of the reactionary and neo-reactionary canon, I was just like, oh, the political themes are right in front of you. It's very much a political game. And uh yeah so i i enjoyed it I, pl- I went with mr house on my first playthrough and then usually I, I delve between caesar's legion or mr house usually depending on what mood i'm in for a playthrough but yeah that's uh that's when i played it so uh where do we want to start just the the general uh the feel for it or uh maybe just the i guess even today i think that was the first note we took was the prescience of uh fallout new vegas because i mean it's 12 years later and we're still talking about this everyone and their mother talks about fallout new vegas It's a cultural icon for gaming.
1: Yes, um, that's something I actually wanted to speak of more at length because it's quite impossible to overstate how much predictive power this particular piece of media had. Fallout New Vegas, I think, quite literally set the scene of what the political discourse would be 10 years in the future, probably 20 years in the future, and, and ongoing. It even predicted, like, terms like, you know, there's a tribe in the game called the Boomers that uh, have taken over Nellis Air Force Base. And they're called that, it's a pun. Their tribe name is a pun because um, they have a massive artillery stockpile in uh, Nellis Air Force Base. And their whole tribe thing is that they're extreme xeno, xenophobes yeah xenophobes that um, um, pretty much shoot artillery cannons at anyone who comes close. And I didn't realize what Boomer meant of, like, referring to Baby Boomer until a couple years later when it started to get used in a political context to refer to the generation. Not only this, but it predicted that the right wing would look like uh, Caesar. It would look like the Caesar character in the game. It would very much be a group of gentlemen that intellectually based themselves on thinkers like Hegel and other thinkers that aren't necessarily explicitly set set in the game. Like Spengler isn't explicitly talked about in the game, but I think lots of Spenglerian themes can be viewed in the game. And the NCR as a faction, uh, I think Ace, you're going to talk about that a little bit further down the line, but the NCR as a faction is a almost perfect critique of the biggest flaws, not just of democracy, but particularly American democracy. And it might've been partially a product of its time um, you know, the, the war in the Mojave is kind of a, a, you know, thumbing the nose at the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, which was going on. I think they weren't at their height. Their height was, I think, uh, 2004, 2005. Um, but 2010, we were still in Iraq and Afghanistan.
0: It's also right and, after the troop surge from Obama in 09.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that there you go. I, I didn't remember that. But but yeah, but at the same time, it's like, Caesar has a quote in the game where he says, any invasion by a democracy is a half measure, which is just true. And we can see that in the entire history of the United States. We can see that in Vietnam. We can see that in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan more recently. Um, we can see that in a lot of places. So forgive me for sucking all the, all the oxygen out of the room, but that's that's kind of the general the general ideas of the game I wanted to sort of speak to is that uh, Fallout New Vegas, I think more than any other single piece of media, had massive predictive and cultural creative power. Right? How many people still post Joshua Graham edits or Joshua Graham put quotes? How many people, you know, whether whether knowingly or unknowingly, saying I'm a degenerates like you belong on a cross. <laughs> Or patrolling the mojave makes you wish for a nuclear winner just just like the game had so much mimetic power to it that you know even if they're not set every day it's like you could say that to a bunch of like young kids or i guess you know our 20 somethings are young kids but i'm uh and and sort of get a reaction like they know what you're talking about so i'll turn it over to either of you i've been talking for a decent while
0: well, yeah. I mean, to this day, what there are like a whole collection of YouTube channels that are still talking about new Vegas and cut content and th- like 10, 12 years later, it's not a particularly, uh, you know, it's not something that just happened and goes away. I mean, we can talk about games that came out in, you know, the 2010s and there are a few that are memorable, but outside of that, I think a fall new Vegas and Skyrim because those are the two biggest of its time outside of the shooter arena, like Halo reach and whatnot. But The thing I also like about it is because unlike its Bethesda counterpart, there is not this long introductory, here's how to play and here's the setup to the story kind of situation. You are given like a 45 second cutscene. You are shot in the head. And outside of setting up your character, get out of my house and do whatever you want from Doc Mitchell's place. Whereas Fallout 3, right, we're going to hold your hand and literally from cradle to your what 19 years old you're gonna you know have to deal with this setup with the family find out where your dad Liam Neeson went to whereas now your job is to get out of that house find out whoever shot you in the head and figure out what this world is because you know just about nothing um and it's neat because this is the continuation sort of of the setting and story of the original you know turn-based isometric rpgs from uh, interplay. So I I think that this is a, a neat way to reframe it back to its original story. But like you said, there's the backdrop of a war in the desert for America and you're confronted with just, you know, we, we talk about like the Lindy effect, right. And you can kind of see some of the ideas that have stood the test of time, even after like nuclear obliteration of most of the modern world, you know, Caesarism is still very prevalent. Uh, American liberal democracy is still prevalent. Um, And then, of course, anarchy will always stay prevalent just in any time that there is any sort of chaos and disorder, and then centralized uh, authoritarianism that we see out of Mr. House. But even there, you see the same things that you would see in any society pre-civilization or just beginning to find civilization. You have those that trade, caravans, isolationists. It's just... A very realistic de- in depiction, however shallow the writing may be in some areas, with its sort of political quips or critiques from the writers. But um, you know, it, it gives the player the agency to determine what it wants. It allows the me, the player to project my politics into this world and how I interact with them. So like I said before the stream, if I wanted to go ahead and go to the great cons and take out Papa Khan, because I think that they're a bunch of degenerate drug peddlers, then yeah, I can do that as the player. That's a reflection of my ideas, not the, you know, the character, uh, which I think is a, a really great way to make this game stand the test of time. Cause it's about you, the player, not the character.
1: Yeah, actually you said something and I know Ace, uh, I know Ace, I, I don't want to keep you out. I know you want to say something, but You said something in that sort of monologue that kind of, it was insightful. Um, You said that, you know, you talked about Caesarism, not just Caesar, but like in the Spenglerian context of the word and, you know, the ashes of liberal democracy. I really think Fallout New Vegas is a really good representative of a dead high culture continuing to exist. A dead high culture, uh, at least in the terms of the NCR, right? It's just the West... You know, reiterated in this ashes of of, um, uh, civilization in the literal, like quite literally the ashes of civilization, um, you know, as all the buildings have been burned by nuclear fire. But it's just reliving liberal democracy over again in the wasteland, not changing anything, not innovating anything, not making any new ideas um, and just sort of just sort of a, a under correction, a continuation of that which even resulted in this cataclysmic process in the first place. Um, I won't go too much into Caesar's Legion because I don't think it's exactly Caesarism. Because I think uh, and the NCR suffers more from Caesarism than Caesar's Legion does, which is an interesting take. But Ace, I know you've been waiting. I want to I
2: want to give you a chance to to put in what you think. Sure. Well, to speak on what uh, what Prudential has said on the reflection of the character. The another thing about this being a 2010 game is there's a lot of flexibility with the politics. And uh, having the characters and the dialogue that uh, we spoke on earlier, a lot of these, uh, what would you say, political uh, political experimentation is allowed, and it's not it's not deemed off limits by the sort of hive mind, as Joe Sobran called it, for uh, for pop culture. So when we see things like Caesar's Legion, or you know, ev- even the NCR having some of their flaws exposed on display. I think stuff like that is is refreshing, and you definitely wouldn't get that today. You would get a more hand fisted take, and and there's some of that in New Vegas too. But I think 2010 is a very uh, it's a very special time for uh, the pop culture, and so to have all those political philosophies sort of uh, untampered with, uh, you know, not uh, not so modernized as they would have if it was made today. That's another aspect of New Vegas that I think a lot of people take for granted.
0: Well, it's a it's a pre GamerGate game. It is before the right. political consciousness really enters the industry and in journalism. Not to say that games journalism or the industry was didn't have its problems before the infamous events in 2013-2014. But like, this is a game made of its time before um, you had to follow a strict political narrative. Not to say that there isn't a little bit of walking you towards the NCR. I think the game kind of puts you in that direction um, just based on the player's predilections in 2010. Like, oh yeah, like democracy is good because I live in one. But um, I mean, yeah, definitely a product of its time.
1: Yeah, I, actually, I want to comment on that. Yeah, that that was, you know, it, it's an interesting thing that you you put it in those terms because I think the player itself, like when I played this in 2015, I felt kind of, weirdly obligated to side with the NCR is the best way to put it. You know, I sided with myself my first playthrough because I'm like, oh, that's cool. Games don't usually let me do that. But, you know, I I felt if I had to choose between the NCR and the Legion, well, I would choose the NCR. And that was back in 2015. I, I was 15 years old at the time. But also I, you know, wasn't as fully inculcated into the real understanding of how fucked things were in liberal democracy back then so i think it's an interesting you know it it almost reflects yourself as you play and you find yourself more willing to side with someone like caesar's legion or someone like mr house without like feeling that sort of moral twinge of guilt inside of yourself that you're doing something evil which very much exists even when you're playing video games like you know, someone tweeted once, you know, it's stupid as it sounds, it's like, I can never do evil playthroughs because I'll feel bad for the NPCs. Like, that's exactly how I felt with siding with Caesar's Legion back in 2015. Now I do it like no freaking problem. Not because <laughs> I'm a not because I'm a sociopath, but because my understanding of what the different sort of factions mean politically has changed. Um, and we, we we can get into that. Um, uh, we can get into that a little bit further down the line.
0: Well, yeah, right. And that's the other thing is is that even in the independent Vegas option, you get to reflect your own politics again as the character, because you get to decide. Uh, who lives and who dies but it was funny that you mentioned the i don't want to hurt the npc's feelings or whatever because there's like two types of people that will do that it's the oh i i obey the traffic laws or whatever while i play um gta or whatever and then you have the guy that will quick save before he decides to go murder a whole town in skyrim or something just um there's the two types of uh, the the two genders of um gaming really so to speak (laughs) Um, but Ace, I know that you wanted to, we mentioned the NCR and sort of that natural predilection that a lot of players have there, but I know that you wanted to open up with some sort of critiques and observations.
1: Yeah, we we can go on the NCR first and then we'll go on uh, the other factions.
2: Awesome. Well, I wanted to open with, uh, with Carl Schmidt because he talks about the, uh, parliament system and how it's unsustainable. And he connects, of course, sovereignty with morality. And of course it doesn't deem it as relative as a lot of these other philosophers do and I, I think De Maistre is also relevant in this discussion. And it's uh it's some of the critique of the, the NCR, it's not so much a structural problem, and you know, like they're not fulfilling their end of the deal or fulfilling their role. And if only they had learned from the Roman Republic, then they could compete with Caesar. I think that the NCR isn't even playing the same sport as the Legion. And so I I don't know if you guys agree with that, but just this this sort of dichotomy between like the NCR's sympathies with uh, the pre-war America. I just, I, I think the Legion is really graduating from that and uh, looking for something new. But uh, what do you guys think about that?
0: Well, yeah, right. The the two people or the two factions in the game that I think fundamentally understand that what came out of the past resulted in that disaster um you know i think we have the quote in here thanks to paul for putting it up like if you want to know the fate of democracies look out the windows says mr house and even um when you first start to meet uh caesar in in the game he, he talks about president tandy and all the terms that she had served and who had succeeded her um and it was like 52 years that she served as president like these two diametrically opposed sides yet also strongly authoritarian recognize the the fundamental failures that come within these systems or at least their faults whether it is um as schmidt would put it about uh you know political and parliamentary systems or even just how engaging in dialectics move things eventually in a more progressive direction and inevitably leads to its faults and it's something that they both recognize it's a a good observation
1: yeah and i think the game, actually, a lot of people, whether whether you're talking to Caesar, but it's not just Caesar who, you know, talks about the flaws of the NCR. It's actually the NCR citizens. You know, the Brahmin barons, basically, they're the sort of they're the elites that buy the government. They buy and sell senators like it's anything else. And in game, sure, they're they're the ones who control the food supply. But they are the sort of hostile elite who's taken over the um uh, the government at least has a significant faction in favor of them you 've also got you've got a sort of neocon warmonger faction within the NCR, presented by um, uh, by ship like General Lee Oliver um, who you don't meet until the uh, till the very end of the game, but he's talked about quite often um, represented in you know represented in the president of the uh, NCR at the time uh, Aaron Kimball, who was um, uh, who himself before he was a president was a uh, was a general. He's the reason, actually, that the N- he was the commander of the first NCR incursion into the Mojave, and he was this sort of draconian, no, no holds barred, like, you know, military man was, who was a very competent commander. And Caesar talks about, you know, if Kimball had decided to take his army of the Mojave, these veterans of this campaign in the Mojave and coup the government, things would be a lot different. But then uh, he follows it up with, "Now I have to do it for him, right?" So, you know, whether it's whether it's the bloated bureaucracy or the taxes or the squatters or people getting forced off their land or um, or the Brahmin barons buying and selling and uh, uh, senators and bullying smaller farmers into selling or anything like that you see all of these things happening in a non you know radioactive context in a non fallout context in the real world with liberal democracy and you know that's to speak nothing of you know sort of pushing out, i mean the thing about the Raiders, I don't like this critique so much, but it's like the game has the NCR's treatment of Raiders, like the U.S. government's treatment of Native Americans. I personally you know, don't really care so much about that, but it is it is another factor. It's like
0: liberal. Yeah, they do that with the great cons a lot.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like liberal democracy is loves diversity when the diversity is compliant. Right. If if they have plenty of diverse groups that are compliant, if there's a divide, if there's a diverse group that isn't compliant, they just kick it out like anything else. But I'm um, uh, sorry, I don't mean to have um uh, once again, don't mean to have sucked the oxygen out of the room.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's one aspect of the NCR that we also start acknowledging is that there is this idea that people are automatically open to to democracy or are open to joining the political system. Um, Like even in Good Springs, there's ambivalence about the NCR. And I mean, I get that it's sort of the uh, tutorial town, but I mean, you're already getting character takes on the various factions that are roaming around. And they're like, yeah, like, you know, the NCR is probably a better alternative to Caesar's Legion, but it doesn't mean it isn't without its problems. And a lot of people are ambivalent of its ability to govern, of its ability to have its taxes done, the way that it's, excuse me, corrupt. And then on top of that, it's also the issue that it, the NCR is just not organized well. It's incredibly overextended in terms of its military force. Uh, like you had said, it's always a half measure. So they can't spare troops. And there are three or four quests back to back about trying to get various camps to send troops over to uh, different locations. And to me, it's not just that you know it shows the structural issues, but it's also really reflective on how people that live under it or are open to living under it are going to show themselves if um almost akin like we had said in the backdrop of like you know a war in the desert but how would people feel about trying to impose a democratic system that doesn't have the world's most stellar track record in it
2: Yeah well I think uh, another aspect of uh, Caesar's legion we got a we got a quote here thanks to Paul talking about the nationalism uh homogeneity but you know the other part it's not just illiberal it's also like ambivalent towards technology and so that's a little less radical and more so kind of the the heidegger uh sensibilities of of caesar's legion i feel like that's not really explored when when they're looking at it you know the the most visual things people grasp onto is you know the 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 slaves and of course they have to reduce caesar to like this barbaric thing and it's it's ironic because there's that one line where caesar says that uh you know the the NCR is a uh, is a what is it hereditary d- dictatorship you know he he has to condemn them for for their ruthlessness and as Paul said earlier you know the neocon sensibility is is also there so it's always nice when the the dictator has to call the the other well, on their bluff but
1: well he doesn't problem. he doesn't really condemn as a matter of fact he says that was when the NCR was great was when um aridesh who was their first president um, then gave it over to herbal. Gave it over in quotation marks to his daughter, um, who then ruled for like 54 years. The most unrealistic part of that is really only the fact that a woman would be a great person in a um, uh, in post-apocalyptic fall. Uh, but you know that aside, you know that's what Caesar was saying. It's like the NCR's greatness. This people, these people that the NCR reveres. Um, you know, if you look at the currency, the dollar bills of the NCR in the game, there are three people that appear on them. Um, there's Aredh, there's Tandy, and there's a uh, Seth who was the uh, the desert ranger that can be one of your companions, I think, in Fallout One. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, all three of those people were militaristic warriors or um, uh, or hereditary, you know, as Caesar says, rulers. And so Caesar's whole thing is that you know the NCR started off and built itself by unified leadership that was fundamentally undemocratic, and it adopted democratic pretensions to sort of um, perpetuate this political myth. There's been a lot of talk of political myths in these spheres recently, to perpetuate this political myth that this is a rebirth of pre-war civilization. You know, you have your democracy, you have your voting, you have all this other stuff. And he said, or at least what what kind of he implies is that letting the democratic pretensions get the better of them has been the decline and fall, um, or as he predicts, fall of the NCR. Um, which is exemplified by the fact that the NCR needs to constantly be expanding to keep feeding itself. It's like all democracies; it's built on endless growth, right? They're expanding westward into the Mojave. They need the Hoover Dam and the Strip, you know, to provide power, to provide entertainment, to basically line go up. The NCR needs line go up, right? You know, big Brahmin barons buying up and having gigantic tracts of land for um, uh, for um. Their massive herds of cattle, well, that's more food, line go up, right? Um, This is actually, I think this is a good point to transition into Caesar's legion um, as the sort of, you know, to use, you know, the man himself's term, the sort of antithesis to the thesis of the NCR. You know, Caesar's legion represents almost a rebirth of culture. You know, in all of the Fallout games I have seen, Caesars Legion is the only, I think, real, genuine, indigenous culture to the, to the game itself, to the media, to the franchise. Um, you know, before I go into a long rant, um, I'm just going to kind of say these two points and let you let you two gentlemen chew on them. Uh, there was a channel, it is a channel, it's still on YouTube, called Shoddy Cast, which has done some of the best, um, in terms of production value, work on um, uh, analyzing Caesar's Legion and the political implications of it. Um, unfortunately, their political commentary is Reddit tier, because they can't help but every five minutes tell you how evil Caesar is and how um, Caesar's Legion is doomed to fail, doomed to break apart, because it's all centered around Caesar. But I don't see that as the case. I think Caesar, sure, he's a foundational figure, but Caesar's Legion is more than just a bunch of tribals got up in football gear, larping as Romans. It's it's more than that. It's sure they speak Latin, sure they they you know have Roman ranks and Roman organizations and Roman aesthetics, but they're not Rome any more than um, you know NCR is pre-war America. They're a new culture. They're a new idea. They're a new concept. And they do use technology. They just use it very sparingly. In-game, veteran legionaries will use guns, right? Um, Caesar has an auto-doc in his tent, right? Caesar, like, and he even comments on it. Like, you know, he, he's done this on purpose. This The Legion is willing to use technology, but, you know, unlike the NCR and unlike other factions in other games, they're not willing to let it sort of outpace their willingness to use it and i think that's a really a, a real thing about it i'm going to turn it over to one of you two gentlemen see what you think on, on those sort of points
0: so I, i'm going to take a step back and then we'll transition into to caesar i'll, mm. I'll get to where you're at and to, to respond there but I, I wanted to notice that um even as it's a, a democratic system the ncr right there's the wonderful. Um, monument that you'll come across in the game about, you know, with the, the Desert Rangers and it's formalized into sort of the newer uh, NCR's military. But, I mean, even, it goes back to, their you know, Interplay's original game about, you know, the Rangers surviving this like post-apocalypse. And, I mean, that's what survives, right? This is the hardened sense to survive a tight-knit homogenous hierarchy that will inevitably you know make sure that it lasts and survives and thrives especially in an environment where order and infrastructure is just gone um and that still exists to an extent where they, they talk about how excited in the game that the the rangers have showed up these guys are the the real deal they know what they're doing and i mean caesar's trying to facilitate the the same thing and it is far more, I think, harsh and direct for anyone because again, you have the the pit, so to speak, where you have to fight in the arena. You've got to prove yourself. You're not really using guns. You're not relying on the NCR radio to call in backup or support. It's all on you. It's very much the uh, rebirth of what you know of, of what creates hard men, and it is these tough times, and that's what Caesar's Legion, I think, also kind of shows. And I think that you're right to say that it's not any more that of the Roman Empire than say the NCRs of Western American style democracy, but it kind of tells you what is fundamentally a character of just the West. Not to say that it's ancient Greece, but it's the Roman Empire. Almost every Western or Westernized culture has tried to make itself the, the next Rome whether it is, you know, the, the Tsarists saying that they are the third Roman and establishing the Russian Orthodox Church, whether it's, you know, the Holy Roman Empire with Charlemagne, whether it's the system of trying to create Rome out of the papacy and ensuring the sort of Gallican style, you know, filet d'anglis, the first daughter of the church within France, this idea to have these interests all come from this culture of what is the Roman Empire, whether it's the East or West, it still exists there. And now in this post-apocalyptic world, Western man, Faustian man, is rebirthed again, and here we are uh, with Caesar's Legion.
2: Yeah, I uh, I also think it's uh, worth focusing on beforehand. Paul had mentioned the uh, sort of the relevancy of California being one of the the key settings for the game, and uh, Thomas seven 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 had a had a good uh, description of it. And Paul, you, you can you remember it better than I do but uh, the idea that California sort of embodies the best and worst aspects of maybe not just American culture, but maybe the West overall. I just think that that's, that's a very telling setting that they decided to, uh, to place it there. And, you know, New Vegas is also kind of a, a caricature city You could, you know, the hedonism that, that uh, goes with it. But, but Paul, could you uh, remind me exactly what the.
1: What yeah. Um, California is sort of the, um uh the conceptual endpoint, if you will, it is the the furthest extent. It is the the final frontier. I think more so than really space is, because um, you know there's recently been debate as to whether whether or not it's even possible to leave the planet. Um, but um, but yeah, what I think what Thomas was talking about, and what you were talking about, was that um uh, the setting of California, you know, in terms of like this sort of Spenglerian lens we're putting on it, or just a general sort of analysis of what the West is. California really is where the West stops. Like, after that, you hit the Pacific Ocean and you're back in the Orient. Like, and California, both in like our you know our real time frame and in the uh, the fallout time frame, is kind of a caricature of the best and worst aspects of Western civilization, of Faustian civilization. Um, of um, at least as it was understood in the early two thousands, right? Um, it's my opinion that Faustian civilization hasn't reached its final conclusion yet. Um, that will ironically be when our Caesar comes. But I mean, yeah, yeah. To, to your point that you know the NCR is this sort of um, um is this sort of amalgamation, this caricature, and the setting of that in the importance of it, like sort of. I think. I don't think the developers intended it that way, but I don't think it was accidental that the original fallouts and then New Vegas was set in California, sort of the end of the West being the last bearer of this sort of caricature of it.
2: Well, uh, to to speak on that earlier, we were speculating – what may have influenced the developers to, uh, sort of explore these, uh, philosophical questions and why, why isn't Caesar like more of a caricature? Why give a fair hearing to why expose a lot of these weaknesses in both sides? And maybe that speaks to the, you know, the fairness that uh, people used to employ when they talked about political topics, but I don't know, do you guys have any, uh, have any inkling? What, uh, what may have been in their minds, putting this thing together?
0: Well, I think for sure considering that a lot of the original developers of the first two games from Interplay were were there. Um I'm sure it was a desire to come back to the story and talk about where they had left off, right? Cuz the you know, Fallout 2, the the New California Republic is not a thing yet. I mean, we just really had left the the master had died some 80 years ago and Fallout 2 Van Buren never, you know, came to anything and you had Fallout Tactics and Brotherhood of Steel. So Definitely the desire to, to come back and also I think really just to explore and ask the, the player a question. If you were given sort of this blank slate um, to, to rule again or to try something else, what would you choose? Because almost every interaction, right, this is what makes New Vegas great. and I mean, the same with all of the fallouts is that every interaction that you as the player have, right, there's an end title card for it telling you how your interactions um, you know, worked with uh, the ending of the game and how that impacts that faction and what they do. So, I mean, if you interact with any of the tribes or the the minor factions in the game, whether it's the Boomers, the Great Cons, uh, the Kings, or anyone like the Omertas, I could just go through the list. Um, they're all, they all have t- an ending slide, right? Depending on which faction you choose and what you do with them, or even if you choose the independent slot. So I think it was a really unique way to not only come back to the setting that they were familiar with, some of the original creators, but also just because... I mean, it has infinite replayability. I can, you know, kill the the fiends in one game through, or I could, you know, give, you know, Mr. Henderson's son to the White Glove Society and leave them be. And every time it's going to be a different ending. And you can craft the story however you want it to be for the ultimate expression of agency, but also like political ideology.
1: Yeah, um... And I'm uh, something I actually want to comment. You you were you were talking about this. You actually put this in the notes. Um, the whole thing is also, I think, a comment on the shallowness of Americana, the sort of the the lack of depth in this sort of you know. You look at pre-war America, the ashes of which are everywhere in the game, but it's like the ashes of pre-war America are just you know making honest the ashes that existed before the bombs fell. You know, it's a super caricature of what exists now. You know, hyper-commercialism, modernity in highways and gas stations everywhere. Um, a lack of a feeling of place. A lack of, like, you know, all the buildings that survived the war aren't old buildings. They're all, like, modern frickin' um, concrete structures or vaults or, you know, for example, the New Vegas casinos. There's no, like... I mean, you know, in Fallout Four, but that's a bit outside the purview of this. Some of them survive, but it's like the Southwest as a setting, as well. I think is more of a commentary because Americana, Americana, I think, was really conceptually born in California in the Southwest, which I is is the most. Sh- I don't want to say it's the most shallow, but it was it's has the least people there. It's had the least stuff happening there. Like if I want to think of almost pure urban sprawl. I think of Phoenix, or I think of, um, you know, Albuquerque, or I think of some Californian city. That's not Los Angeles or San Diego or anything on the Bay. Right. I think of all of these sort of cities that exist really, really only as a result of hyper modernity and civilization that we can put them out in the middle of these freaking deserts and like pipe the water out to them. So you know, that's something I think you wanted to comment on. Um, uh, in, in regards to um, uh, in regards to this sort of, you know, Caesar's Legion versus the NCR versus pre-war America, um, and all that.
0: The thing that kind of popped out to me, and this is just something that I everyone kind of chuckles about the uh, the the kings um, that's in there, which I thought was really interesting because they'll tell you in the um. In the game, you know, like we we didn't even know his name. They just referred to him as the the king. Um, Of course, it's referencing everyone plays as, uh, you know, Elvis Presley impersonators. But this is what survives out of sort of the American uh, culture uh, at the end of the world is basically Sin City and which is New Vegas, right? Sin City and Elvis Presley uh, for this sort of retro futurist 1950s America in the, you know, 200 some odd years later and it just kind of, to me, just says some shallowness that this is what survives the United States, at least in the West, right, is the the cultural aspect of the radio, whether it's um, Big Iron or any of the great hits that are played on uh, the uh, radio that you can tune into. But it's just gambling. You know, they even have the, the one of them is called the Gamora and you know elvis presley with the kings like this is this is american culture um which i think we can get into when we talk about the dlcs but that's why i find ulysses to be one of the best written characters in the game is a is a dlc character but I mean, initial playthrough, right? Like this is all that I'm seeing of the of America in the West is uh, Las Vegas and this weird cult of personality around Elvis Presley. Whereas when you play Fallout Three, right, there's this whole group trying to to free slaves um, from super mutants and all that jazz that are all dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. There's a lot more um, center of what is American history in the nation's capital, but out in the middle of nowhere in this frontier of the West, right? The last part of the Western world geographically and politically um, it's, it's barely anything, but the faintest grasps of a democratic system, Las Vegas and uh, Elvis Presley.
2: Yeah. And to, to continue that point in, in fallout three specifically, one of the arcs that I think stands out is one of the tunnel snakes that you grow up with. If you return back to your vault, he is uh, you know, very lost, you know, his, His identity can only it only gain it only got him so far with his like friend group when you were when you were young, but when you go back there, it's uh you know that's that kind of identity doesn't really transcend anything. It's not really deep enough. And as you guys said earlier, you know the surface level Americana, it's it's absent of the the history and the depth of like the pre-war America. So the fact that you know you have sort of these tough guy macho characters, and then all it takes is you know what is it like 20 years for them to just be reduced to just some completely shallow, like basically loser in the, in the vaults, you know, through no fault of their own, you know, it's all circumstantial, but uh, I just think that one of those arcs, I forget that guy's name. I, I should know it, but.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? Is that like, they're basically a bunch of greasers, um, again, exactly. sort of, um, caricaturizing the 1950s culture that fallout is sort of set in, um, permanently set in right, uh, before the war, And that's what they are. And this is what we pass down in this like characterized 1950s Americana that all that survives are these faint impressions of um, 1950s bopper music and Elvis Presley and greasers. But outside of that, there's just nothing, nothing survived.
1: You know, know, now that we're talking about sort of uh, fossils of the old world in Fallout New Vegas and sort of in um, a And sort of in our real timeline, we can talk about the literal living fossil of the old world and sort of Mr. House. Um, Mr. House is this representative of the best aspects of sort of American exceptionalism, this, um, uh, this captain of industry, this uh, uh, capitalist titan who, you know, went out. And I, I think, you know, Mr. House, probably even more so than the courier, your playable character in the game, is the penultimate Faustian man. He literally sold his soul. He sold his humanity to keep himself living through the end of the apocalypse and to turn Vegas into this almost utopia after the war, Um, or at least utopia as I'm, uh, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say a utopia per se, but this beacon of progress, you know, he talks about sending ships into space and um, colonizing other planets and all of that. And, you know, I think. This might be a trite thing, um, but, you know, Mr. House, I think, is sort of the logical or, or um, some would say a caricature of the ideology of Moldbug or Nick Land, the neo-reactionaries, as this sort of um, CEO dictator um, in charge of this one little patchwork place um, with his own, like, private army and his own rules, doing everything through contract Um you know making deals with everyone you know house you know with the with the three families on the strip that run the three casinos right he's like you know they are my employees i work with them via contract right and i don't breach the contract right and and he means this like this is like his sort of you know this could be a commentary on maybe capitalist morality or whatever but it's like he doesn't breach contracts um because those are deals and i guess he, i guess if he breaches a contract then no one will make a deal with him so I don't know. I'm. 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 I have no real rhetorical flourish to sort of end this line of thought, but like, you know, what what do y'all think of House and sort of his relation to this wider theme of you know the shallowest the shallowness of Americana, or um uh, or sort of the 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 old world? Is is he an unwelcome relic? Is he um, is he the best aspects of America? Is he the worst aspects of America? Is he both? What what, what do y'all think?
0: So I mean, he is the only thing that is standing or that can remember the old world right like he is over 200 years old if you kill him and they play that other than uh, the
1: ghouls other than the ghouls, the, than the the ghouls, ghouls yeah and, the, but, and some of the super mutants
0: yeah but i mean he is the epitome of what is that americana of the time he's modeled after robert hughes or howard hughes excuse me and uh voiced by the uh, voiced by odo for those who are uh, star trek fans of ds9 he's uh, renee abergenois um god rest his soul but I mean, he is the um, sort of you know, robber baron, capitalist venture and inventor. I mean, he he'll tell you straight out when you sort of talk about trying to turn over the platinum ship to him. You know, he says, by the time I was 30 years old, I was a billionaire 30 times over. I founded and ran a vast economic empire. Do you really think I'm going to let some upstart come into my house and ransom my property to me? I spent two centuries searching for the platinum chip. It's my invention, my property, mine. Now, be a good courier and deliver it. And I just find that to be the epitome of his character because he is business. He's transactional. He works through his securitrons and people that he hires. But he also knows you know that what brought the end of the world is you know, like we mentioned earlier, if you want to see the you know point of democracy, just look outside the window. Um, and I, I jokingly always say that sort of uh, Mr. House is the Nick land option for Fallout New Vegas because it's sort of this technocratic accelerationist um, autocracy and autarky that uh, he wants to do. He wants to to run things in a technocratic, bureaucratized manner where he is in charge as the captain of industry, telling you that they're going to have the energy sectors rebuilt and in two generations they'll have space colony ships having their reactionary colonies so we don't repeat the mistakes of the old world. I I side with Mr. House a lot. It's usually between Caesar's Legion or Mr. House because... At the same time, I mean, I think that Mr. House recognizes, and he's lived by selling his soul in the ultimate Faustian fashion to live forever, um, what worked and what didn't. And he wants to put it in this, again, very Faustian vision of himself about what the the future could hold. And if you you know side with him and you do it what he wants, he's got his army. He has the capability to to bring leverage upon the enemy, and he identifies who his enemies are. He has spent a long time strategizing and theorizing about what to do. And I mean, even he himself will tell you, he calculated that war was inevitable. He had the platinum chip developed. Unfortunately, it was just a a day and a dollar short uh, before the bombs fell, and he managed to save New Vegas through his own genius. And while some might think, well, this is over-exaggerated or he can't be a realistically drawn character. And it's just like, think about the influence, Rockefeller, Morgan, all of the great barons of American industry, for better or for worse, in transforming American culture. And whether it's the pharmaceutical industry, standard oil, the American political class and system abroad. I mean, that, he is the the standing testament of what these titans of industry, uh, what what Carlisle might even call a great man uh, can do to the world. And I think that th- that gives you sort of that sense of not only Faustian spirit is, but also what Carlyle would call a great man. Um, even if he is mainly just a guy in a, in a life preservation, you know, thing that's keeping him alive.
2: Yeah. I was also going to mention he is a definitely a Rockefeller type. I also like the Howard Hughes uh, references. He's, you know depending on your perspective, you could say it's either pre or post him, Howard Hughes losing his mind in sort of the, uh, the sort of mechanical way of looking at things, but definitely in the entrepreneurial, uh, aspect, but I was going to say something else, but, uh, oh, well, I don't know. I guess Mr. House, maybe, maybe I'm reaching a little bit here, but you know, maybe there's some overlap with, uh, someone I was talking about yesterday, which is, uh, Henry Kissinger, sort of the, uh, sort of the surface level critique that could be given to House is, uh, you know, ruthless capital, you know, venture capitalist. But I do think that that pragmatism is there. I think that, you know, real politique is there. I think there is a sort of a method to his madness. And maybe it's a lot more pragmatic, you know, less primitive than Caesar's Legion, depending on, you know, your definition. I don't know, he's kind of the kind of the halfway points. If, uh, you know, as Paul said earlier, you know, you were naturally sympathetic to the ncr prior to your you know full philosophical development i think mr house sort of uh paves inroads for people like that and if uh if the caesar's legion is a bit too edgy maybe uh mr house has a has a bit of a more buttoned up way of doing things so
0: yeah that or if you want to return to some kind of semblance of modern life right because again it's the immersion thing um we're totally in this foreign world to us the player right where we are so used to our our, it's twenty ten, so we've got, you know, an iPhone or something and we're all ready to well oh, wow, things are really crappy. We should probably bring things back to normal. And when you walk into New Vegas, right, ain't that a kick in the head starts playing. You're dealing with robots and Securitrons that are managing the peace. You're like, oh, wow, things are actually not like crappy out here. I have to turn in my guns when I have to go into casinos. Like things are really strictly enforced. And lo and behold, Victor is ready to greet me and tell me that Mr. House is waiting for me. And you're like, oh, I should probably talk to this guy, considering that I've ran into Victor along every major quest line so far. And um, this man is offering a chance to like rebuild the modern world or at least rebuild uh, the technology that is necessary for like civilization to exist, like actually managing farmers, right? Getting the monorail working, generating more effective power out of the dam um, while identifying that what you're really seeing are these two relics of the old world. And we should probably look towards and synthesize a better solution. So he's, Definitely of that sort of like neo-reactionary trend, right, where we have this sort of dialectic of critiquing democracy, but also utilizing technology to accelerate us to a point where we can be more effectively governed through this sort of monarchical figure, um, which is definitely what Mr. House sees himself as. And he offers that critique of democracy quite blaringly that, listen, uh, the old world is where we got us here. and. Um, the, those systems, whether it's Caesar who just, and I think he calls him just some guy that picked up a book and decided to larp essentially. And then he's calling out the the NCR as, um, you know, just a, a, a ghost and a shell of what democracy in the United States formerly was because he remembers it. And uh, he does he definitely does offer um, the, the technological path similar to Caesar's Legion, whereas is more of a Luddite, um, you know, men, flesh and blood, kind of deal that you get out of the Legion. There's a lot to unpack with Mister House for sure.
1: Yeah, um, there were a couple things I wanted to say about House. Actually, um, I think House is sort of the peak of the sort of merchant type figure, uh, the archetypal merchant that we that many have in in our spheres. Um, you know, as as Prude said earlier, he is transactional. He is very much a, a, a an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and all of that. Um but also he has no metaphysics. House has zero metaphysics. He to him, he is like he's a Kissinger type figure. He is peak pragmatic, he is peak realist, he has no conception outside of de facto. Um there's no there's no de jure other than contract, but you know, contract itself is just another reflection of ordering reordering material reality. Um, you know, and he has house has no vision that isn't really crude materialism. His vision, sure. Sending colonies out to colony ships and basically, you know, restart the whole thing, but there's, there's no, like, there's no higher sort of spiritual concept or, or higher goal or higher purpose that's outside of the material to, uh, to house. And honestly, if you look at this from the Evolian point of view, House is actually the most evil option you could choose, because what House is standing for, what he's trying to restore is quite literally, you know, Ebola. looking at the Fallout universe, right? If, if he saw the Fallout universe, he, he would probably say something like, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to sort of, uh, you know, try to break out of the Kali Yuga, even if it's for a time, right? you know, and he would almost certainly go with Caesar as sort of a, um, uh, you know, as a, as a way of getting out of the Kali Yuga. Um, but what house stands for is a re as, as you said, prude is a recreation of modernity is a, uh, resurrection of modernity, even more so than the NCR, right. You know, the NCR still lets it some, um, uh, you know, still lets its citizens do its, its weirdo things. Um, but it's not like actively trying to bring back the concept of modernity, at least not in a material sense. And what? Oh, go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to finish it off by saying, um, you know, House very much understands that the Great War was caused by democracy, but he also misunderstands many of the other things that caused the Great War, such as um, uh, more or technology outplacing restraint or outpacing restraint. House thinks that, you know, there was nothing wrong with the technologies of the old world. It was perfectly fine. It's just they were managed by idiots, right? And House is kind of this, you know, galaxy brain, 5000 IQ type person who thinks that he's the guy who can manage all of it properly um, until further notice. And I think what House misunderstands that Caesar does understand is that the Great War was also caused by too much modernity, too much civilization too much technology as a consequence of all of that prude you want you wanted to say something
0: oh yeah well, i mean like the war is also caused by great power politics over resources um especially between china and the united states as the the war goes but the other thing right that you, we're if we're going to mention like other lenses to view it from like mr house is also like a really great character to view things from a Hoppian lens Because to to Mr. House, right, what is the most important thing with these contracts? It's property rights. It is the material aspect of the right to own property, the right to contract, um, which we see in, you know, Democracy, the God that Failed. Uh, that is straight from like Mr. House where everything is about business everything is about contracts everything is about good and proper management and these contractual relationships because once you start talking to Benny and he's trying to tell it, talk to you out of it if you report back to Mr. House yeah Mr. House is like yeah I already know that Benny's trying to like go against me like I already know this um and here's the way that you should counter Benny like he is very much a businessman he's very much about that sort of property lens but I don't think he's necessarily in it. like you mentioned he's this sort of like galaxy brain like I want to um i'll fix things like giga chad yes this is my political ideology that will emerge from the ashes as the meme goes but um you know not to i guess i'll play devil's advocate i mean like out of everybody in in the factions there i mean the one thing he's got going for him isn't necessarily the technology it's the history um the man lived through the war i mean the man lived before the war and was a titan of industry he knew how it worked and, uh, what a better man to sort of play the game than to be a man that knew the rise and fall, um, and what may come from it. I
2: wanted to say real quickly that, uh, I, I was curious if we were going gonna to get, gonna, excuse me, Rothbard, the Hoppian pipeline, maybe New Vegas is responsible for the libertarian uh, reactionary pipeline. That may have been the, the source of that. It is 2010 after all, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, I guess if, uh, I guess if you're compelled by the uh, by the sort of you know Hoppe side of things, that might that might steer you away from Caesar. Ironically, but uh, I don't know if that's uh, truly justified. Now, I, I was going to ask you, Paul, what, what what you think about that dynamic specifically. The dynamic of them. Um, um, sorry, could you restate that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Just uh, the fact that, like, the fact that Mr. House. I mean he is placating to a materialist worldview. And so Mm -hmm. as Prude said earlier, you know, the, to, to, to the average layman, you know, the, they're sort of living by the noble lie with all the the robots and gadgets, you know, they're assuring them that no democracy is actually not going to collapse. You know, look, we got, we got everything you need here. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is a better alternative to the, as opposed to the, uh, you know, Caesar's counterpart would be, uh, you know, the more barbaric, primitive side of things. I, I know you kind of alluded to uh, the lack of uh, spirit that Mister House doesn't have. Yes. The, but what do you think about sort of the, the pragmatism that Mister House is is offering? So
1: yeah, I, I I'm I'm going to address your point real quick. But I actually think this is a good way a good way to segue, um, we touched on Caesar a little bit earlier, but I think we can, you know, by answering this question, we can sort of segue fully into analyzing Caesar's Legion and its full implications. Um, my answer to your question about the pure pragmatism of house is that, you know, I'm, I'm very metaphysically inclined. I'm more of Volian than I'd like to admit. Um, and I really do think that, you know, House's solution really is just, you know, not really addressing the fundamental causes of the Great War, which is obsession over things, which is obsession over stuff, right? House is the exact, you know, as as Prude said, you know, yeah, House is a really interesting character in the fact that he did live through the Great War. He's almost a myth made flesh. You know, he literally is the man who lived for 200 years, but it was men of his thinking, it was men of his, you know, conceptual blindness to anything beyond crude reality, to anything beyond, you know, material that caused the Great War, you know, that, you know, conceived of nuclear weapons in the first place, that conceived of um, uh, using them over literally a resource dispute, that conceived of, 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 you know, making the society centered around all of these things and... And just destroyed the world over it, right? So that's that's my big critique of House is that it's literally him and men of his ilk, you know. Even though House personally, in the lore, predicted the Great War, didn't want the Great War to happen, and took steps to prepare for it, right? Um, men who thought like him, men from his conceptual horizon, that blew the world up, that destroyed the world. You know, using democracy and the worst aspects of democracy, um, but also the worst aspects of sort of the Carlolene great man who's above morals um, and above almost God in a way, in that Faustian sense. And I'm going to compare him with the personage of Edward Sallow, who would later become Caesar. I have heard, you know, shoddy cats primarily, but a lot of other YouTube channels sort of sit there and liberal psychologize um, Caesar as an egomaniac who's vainglorious. That's not the case at all, or at least, you know, at least there's nothing in that in um, uh, the ki- personage of Caesar that is unhealthy in a leader. You know, all leaders are egomaniacs and vainglorious to a certain extent because you need to be to be a leader, especially a great leader. But Caesar... Of all of the characters in Fallout, is the only one, you know, however crude it is, however, you know, some ways say he doesn't even believe in it, um, who has a metaphysical vision, who has an idea of something beyond just um, trying to rebuild old world civilization. You know, Caesar is he you know, he, he calls himself the son of Mars He's reviving, you know, some sort of, you know, Greco-Roman theology and the Van Buren lore, um, which is sort of implied in Fallout New Vegas, you know, women can become slaves or priestesses, right? You know, ancient Greece and Rome had many women priestesses, you know, Um, all the legionaries still covertly practiced their tribal gods, right? Um, You know, if you talk to the, um, uh, if you talk to the dog handler in caesar's camp who is from the uh, the hang dogs which was the tribe in and around denver uh or at least old world denver which is now the dog city in the game because it's been overrun by cyber dogs and packs of wild dogs and all that and the tribe he was worshiped the dogs as gods right you can tell by talking to him that he still worships the gods or the, the gods that 40 slip um also a character in one of the dlcs uh god and dog but um but You can see that, you know, Caesar talks about the quote, I think, is a a nationalist, imperialist, totalitarian, homogenous culture that obliterates the identity of every group it conquers. That might be what Caesar is trying to do, or at least him intellectually what he's trying to do. But the actuality of what he's doing um, is he's created a culture. He's created something that is a direct response to the circumstances that the environment has put them in. That is not an attempt to necromance the past, as my friend Thomas would say. Um, The 87 tribes, Caesar took them and forged them into one sort of nation, right? It forged them into one sort of empire, one tribe, if you will, with the bull as their symbol, right? And, you know, people talk about how you know, Caesar's Legion is centered around Caesar personally. And every tons of people in games say this, and tons of people out of games say that, you know, and Caesar with the brain tumor, and you don't interfere, you can kill him or whatever. And when Caesar dies, the Legion will go into civil war between, you know, sort of Lenius's faction, Wolpez and Colta's faction, um, maybe even Lucius, the head of the Praetorian Guard, would have a faction, right? Which is possible. But the thing is, is that Caesar's Legion is a country, is an identity that exists, that is something that was created just off of the vision of one man, but the people the people under his reign fulfill it as much as Caesar created it. All of these legionaries, right, these people who now speak Latin, who call him Caesar, um, who work in contubernium uh, with each other, even from different tribes, they're not gonna just stop all of that and go back to their tribal ways if Caesar just dies, yeah, they'll fight civil wars. Sure. But the Legion is here to stay. It exists. It's a nation. It is a culture. It's possibly a new high culture in the Spanglarian sense, you know, something after the West, something new. I'm sorry. I went on one of my sort of long winded sort of sermons on that, but, 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 you know, I, I really do think in a lot of the analysis, Caesar hasn't been treated seriously as a character, you know, the way the way it, the way I'm um, the way I sort of see him in that Spenglerian sense. I don't even think he's a Spenglerian Caesar at the end of a high culture. I think he's one of these foundational heroes at the beginning of a high culture, like, you know, your Rollins, your um, Charlemagne's, your um, El Cid's, your Siegfried's. That's what I think Caesar is. I don't know. You two gentlemen have anything on that point?
0: So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do both sides of the of the coin here. Well, on one for you, and then one maybe to to counter because there's so much to talk about with Caesar. Uh, I, really, with all these characters, and I want to give all of them a fair shake. Um, you're right, and I think that that's something that not a lot of people sort of recognize in game is is that when we talk about Caesar and, or Caesar's Legion, it's all only about the context of the game in the Hoover Dam and the battle. It's not about the fact that it's mentioned in passing in the conversations with the NCR and other characters, but he has conquered a whole swath of the Southwest. Like he has a country, he has dominated territory and he governs it effectively. And they're now trying to go after this vital resource. Like you're right to say that Caesar's Legion is not going away. Even if Caesar dies, there is still governance and there is still a structure of government that is there. Um, and I think that that's something that not a lot of people take into consideration, that you're dealing with the you know, literal king, the literal figurehead, the literal controller of this vast empire, the Caesar himself, um, to, to rule. And here he is now, like a true leader, like a foundational leader. He is there with his legions at the front lines. He's literally just a couple of miles away from where the Battle of Hoover Dam will take place, according to the map. Um, and I think that you're not a lot of people give him a fair shake that he isn't doing anything. If you talk to him long enough and exhaust his dialogue, he will tell you what his plans are. He will tell you what he has accomplished and how he is governed. And we get a lot more of uh, Caesar's Legion fleshed out in the DLCs, especially with Joshua Graham. But um, I don't think enough people recognize him as the character that he actually is written. And he's not to be this caricature or just some guy with a tumor in his head who's got these lofty ideals about ruling the Southwest and the country or what what territory there is of the old world. It's a man that wants to, that recognizes and is read that civilization requires those foundational men to lead. Um, And that that would be the way to, to, I would say, is definitely supportive of that. The the way to push back on it, I think, would be to say that, okay, well, what does happen um, if he dies, right? And the way that you would support uh, Paul's point is that, well, if he dies, clearly, even in game, if you decide to kill him, he is now a a martyr foundational figure. Like he's there. We don't see in the game, um, even if you kill him, like the Legion goes away. Even if you decide not to play as Caesar's Legion and you go to the camp uh, to find Benny or whatever, you can still kill Caesar right there. And the Legion as a force doesn't go away. Um, But I guess his pushback would be, I think what makes all four factions interesting, Caesar especially, is that there are all these um, flashes of old world sensibilities, Um, not just metaphysical ones, because I do think Mr. House has some metaphysics, but we can get into that in a second. I think that all of these characters are visages or simulacras of the old world um, before the war itself. You know, we have this Caesarean figure. We have the Rome reincarnated as it has been throughout every single collapse throughout civilization in the Western history. Um, every civilization wants to rebuild itself as the next Rome, whether it is Russia declaring itself the third Rome with orthodoxy, whether it's the Holy Roman Empire and Charlemagne, the papacy sort of establishing this Roman style of rule and authority through the church. Um, everyone wants to be Rome. Uh, that glory still lives forever, but it's never rome right it's always something that is of an image of itself almost a ghost dance um and you you see that with every single faction the ghost dance that oh the american individual and cowboy can just make sure that things go independently and everyone's on their own when you choose say um uh, yes, man, or with the NCR, the visage of the old American style democracy, we can rebuild America, or even the old style, you know, captain of industry, let's reset the factories and build ourselves and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps like Mr. House. I, if it's not the, it's not if they don't have, if they don't have metaphysics, then I think what they perfectly are, is, is that you as a character are now immersed in this world, where you have to pick more or less four major sides about what kind of society that is a relic of the old world do you want to to formulate and build a foundation for a new future in this post-apocalypse.
1: I think that's a very insightful point, um, that sort of point against Caesar. Um, and I'm gonna go down that line a little bit. Um, I think I said this earlier. I either said this before stream or I said this earlier in the in the in the show. But you know, Fallout the whole all of the factions are like you just outlined, Prude, they're just reliving stereotypes of Western culture, right? No new ideas have come. All just um, different aspects of the West, of the sort of culturally impoverished America, just replaying themselves, Um, whether it's the NCR and their sort of World War II Hitler narrative without even, you know, citing the man, or it's Caesar with this sort of Pax Romana narrative that the West has sort of taken upon itself. Or its house with the um uh, with the endless capitalism and endless material narrative, or it's like you said with the courier, the sort of rugged frontiersman narrative. All of these are cultural types of the West that have already sort of been created. Um, but to go back to one of my earlier points, I made in favor of Caesar, Caesar could potentially, instead of just being you know a reiteration of Rome, instead of just being one of these um, um one of these dead kinds of of western cultures reiterating himself he could really be you know the potentiality of a new high culture in a different simulacrum rebirthing itself but you know at the same time it, what you said could be correct in um, um in that caesar is just you know another sort of another sort of dead cultural f- vision of the west but, you know, even we could we, we might be we might be able to go in more in depth of all these tribes later on. But like, you know, even all of these, you know, minor factions in the game are just simulacra, are just um, uh, dead forms of, you know, of pre-war things. You know, the boomers are just the pre-war American military culture um, of just shoot everything. The cons are a sort of biker drug pusher gang. That's a cultural form of the West. The Kings are, you know, Elvis impersonators. The Omertas are basically, you know, the Italian mafia. The Chairman are like, you know, some weird, com- like greasers almost, but not really. They're some weird sort of like, you know, 50s suave sort of um, uh, rat pack type um, uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, Las Vegas culture, right? The White Glove Society are this caricature, are this stereotype of posh, upper class, snobbery um the brotherhood of steel like they have their larping as chivalry as knights and all of this um they they're like they're like house um but a little bit less complicated in their philosophy the fiends are drug fucking um uh, addicts they're they're the the relation their relationship with the cons is very much master servant right the enclave which has a minor appearance in the game is um you know, talk about, you know, this living recreation. The Enclave is probably one of the closest things to what we have right now. You know, the Enclave is like we take our current elites, but we make them a little bit more nationalistic. We take our current elites and make them into the caricature of what we thought they were um, and put them into the fallout wasteland. But all of these things, I'm going to turn it over to you, I probably, I think to you, Ace. Um, all of these things are just dead Western forms. That's the thing about that's the great thing I think about Fallout New Vegas. You can view it in that Spenglerian lens as what a dead Western high culture will look like.
2: You're asking what do I
1: think it'll look like? I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just asking what i uh, what you think about that whole point. If you have anything to add, that's sort of my, my Spenglerian take on the whole on the whole game.
2: Well, I might uh, I might counter you here because maybe this is the paleo con in me sort of emerging here, but. I think that a lot of the, you know, Spenglerian sensibility of uh, sort of waiting for the the end of the cycle. I think there is a lot of investment left in the American project, and so maybe that's where I lean towards Mr. House as opposed to Caesar. But I mean, I think the you know we've said that they're basically caricatures a lot of you know the kings and uh, the uh, the gambling and all of that in in Vegas. But I do think that there is a lot of Maybe not strong men in the in the Caesar sense, but maybe maybe just laymen that haven't been totally corrupted by the modernity, totally corrupted by you know the postwar Americana that's flooded into flooded into you know what into New Vegas, really. But I don't know, I think there is a lot of investment still left. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reform left to do maybe not in, this, in the NCR sense, but uh, maybe on the local level like community level, a lot of that stuff is a little untapped and uh, I think a lot of you know those communities can still be uh, reached.
1: Well yeah and and you know as I said, I think earlier in the stream, right this is a game of what I'm, uh, of what the West looks like around 2010, right The game couldn't possibly yeah. predict what our Caesar would look like um, however however he comes you know back to the Spenglerian cycle right. I know you tried to refute it, but like back to the Spenglerian cycle, our, our 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 Caesar hasn't come yet. So, you know, Fallout New Vegas, I mean, it's very much a snapshot in time of what a dead high culture would look like, I guess, if nuclear war happened in 2010 and the West just ended without any further cultural development. So, you know, I, I, I very much see your point there
0: i would also add though too right Is is that we talk about caricatures a lot like this game in the fallout series has always had a very macabre uh sense of humor and it's just baked into the series i mean um fallout new vegas is infamous for the perk wild wasteland where uh, these special little the, the music cue will play and you can encounter everything from uh, aliens or if you do some of the, the DLC you can come across certain famous painting scenes brought to life um, or more, most famously the first one that you'll ever most likely most players will encounter is when they walk down the road trying to head to you know, prim and everywhere else is that um, they'll see uh, the uh, skeleton in the, um, in the refrigerator with the Indiana Jones hat as a reference to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull which came out I think like a year before um, so, I mean, like the humor is there, which I think also kind of adds to the caricature. But I mean, um, th- that is a lot of things, though, where things are taken out of proportion. And th- th- that's part of, I think, the politics of things is that when you have no historical root to anything, and you are born from a complete destruction of the old world, what do you have left to rely on other than the caricatures where, I mean, even it seems ridiculous to us, but to them, it's the real, it's the real deal where, Oh, we, as the boomers, we have these like nice, like airman jackets with all of our medals on. Cause that's where we descend from. Um, it doesn't matter that we all look crazy as guys in red and in football gear, but that's Caesar's legion to these people. Cause this is what they know is what they're rooted to. Um, which I think to us may be a caricature, but I think it plays rather well into the game. For all of the factions, really, including the minor ones, that this is what they are. I mean, like the Great Cons—they're a biker gang that deals in crank. You know, like that's what they are, um, which I think just tells us a lot about uh, what what we would rebuild from. Because I mean, if we were to rebuild from scratch. Uh, unless you're like us that are just autistically into the sort of political knowledge, whether it's Rothbard, Spangler, Hoppa, uh, Land, or whatever, like not many people are going to be like government, theology, Locke. Who the hell are these people? Like we need to like get the water running, you know? That's why I think a lot of it also kind of plays really well with it being such a caricature.
1: You know, yeah, and honestly, you could kind of see something of that. What you said, rebuilding off of caricatures. You could kind of see that at like the initial history of the West, because what was Charlemagne but just some fucking Frankish barbarian in furs like with and the pope just just declares he's emperor of Rome. Like he wouldn't even use the title when speaking to Byzantine um, either diplomats or the emperors. I don't know if Charlemagne ever spoke to the Byzantine um, because I think it was Irene of Athens that was in charge at the time. I could be could be wrong with that. Uh, the Empress Irene. Um, But, you know, yeah, to your point is that, you know, Charlemagne and the Franks and all of these Gothic Germanic tribes, they had their own faiths, sure. But like, you know, Christianity, and the idea of the sort of Roman legion and the idea of, of Caesar of the emperors, were sort of the only things left over, right? Like, you know, Recently, historiography has kind of proven that, um, um, or at least changes in historical research have kind of proven that the fall of Rome was an apocalyptic event. Like the fall of Rome was not something that people just lived through and, um, you know, and, and like, like they didn't even realize it. The fall of Rome, like there were organized sports in Rome like we have now there were apparently science fiction type works being written in the second century, you know, almost all of like the, the cultural aspects that we have even down to like, you know, fan clubs or, you know, as we call consumers, they had their own version of consumers, you know, like even technologically there, um, uh, civil, you know, I know Nemitz would like this if he ever hears this, but like they're, they're, you know, their water infrastructure was equivalent to 19th century German water architecture, you know, water infrastructure, Um, you know, to the point where they were, you know, the Germans were looking around like Stuttgart, I think after the German empire was um, perfect. And after they cleaned it out, the quality of water was so clean that they just integrated it into Stuttgart, some um, water infrastructure. So it's like, you know, I completely understand what you're saying is like all of these cultures, all of these tribes in game, you know, are using these sort of um, um these sort of symbols to um uh, or these caricatures or these leftover things from this previous high empire to rebuild, you know, profane as it may be. And I think this is actually a good way to segue into um, into sort of the DLCs, because this is a concept that gets talked about in more than one of the DLCs directly in Lonesome Road less directly in honest hearts. Um, but even in like in, in dead money and old world blues, I think these, these concepts get brushed upon. So, you know, um, uh, what do you, do you, do you gentlemen want to go through all four of them at once? Or, or do you want to go one by one or what do y'all want to do?
0: I, I'm good with starting out. Um, Chronological uh, order. Well, yeah, I guess we can go in release order. That would probably be um, the best idea for the, um, DLCs, well, yeah,
1: because the the story of Ulysses, I think, is told other than Honest Hearts, which is kind of a a one off.
0: Well, uh, no, I mean, even Ulyss, well, I mean, it's kind of a one off, but uh, the things inside, uh, he's well, referenced wait, no.
1: there. No, yeah, he is. No, I'm sorry, I forgot about that. But yeah, the story so, yeah. of Ulysses and i uh, and um, what's her name? The the Brotherhood chick um, that was uh, Elijah's pupil. Um, anyway. Um, like the story of Ulysses is kind of told in all three DLCs as one of the subplots of it. And you find clues and where he's been and what he's done, um, which all culminates in Lonesome Road. Um, so yeah, I guess we can, we can go for it chronologically. Um, how about this for dead money? Um, let's talk about the character of Elijah first. Um, if, if you gentlemen have anything to speak on, um, uh, speak on Elijah, um, we could talk about sort of the brotherhood of as a matter of fact i think that's a good thing to talk about right we could talk about elijah as sort of the logical conclusion of this brotherhood um you know morality that has been in all of the games up until fallout new vegas um father elijah is this sort of he, he's the former elder of the mojave chapter he was looking to use all of this old world these sort of like grand wonder weapons that you know he was going to use, he was, loo- they were losing a war against the NCR because the Brotherhood used to have control of the Mojave. And then when the NCR was moving in, they fought the Brotherhood uh, as well as in California. And um, the Brotherhood individually were stronger. I think there's World War II parallels too. Individually, the Brotherhood were stronger than, than you know, the NCR, but the NCR just had more numbers. And so Elijah was looking more and more and more to these wonder weapons, like the, um, uh, the power plant that you can call, in the main game outside of the DLCs, you can go. Yeah. Helios the
0: one. Game. Yeah. Not Helios to mention won. he visits the, the big MT, you know, yeah. to, to yeah, look know. for weapons. in the so, DLC, yeah, there's some yeah. world war II for sure. Uh, yeah. References there.
1: But I, I guess Elijah, Elijah is sort of a different sort of iteration of the Faustian man in which he sold his soul to sort of get to where house is at. Right. He's, he's Faust, you know, without the means of house. Right. Um, I don't mean I don't mean to be talking so much about this. Do You gentlemen, have anything to say about Elijah and the Brotherhood as a whole?
0: Uh, well, I mean, for to me, the Brotherhood right is just it, it always gets played as sort of this technophilic, uh, you know, um, isolationist. We don't know what to associate with anybody. We want to be sort of the guardians of technology. But there's a lot of honor in that, I think, especially in this post-apocalypse where. Most people who are working there are just trying to rebuild using sort of medieval methods of technology to get water running, trying to utilize and jerry-rig technology so it's not, um, you know, irradiating them and things like that. I mean, these things are we're, we're living in a very early technological age, and they're trying to make sure that this technology isn't being used by people that could have nefarious means or don't know what they're doing cuz they they live in isolation it's very monastic and ascetic despite being so technological where they they don't interact with anybody they don't want anyone to do it um, even when you encounter sort of Elijah's, you know, protege in game, uh, Veronica at the 188 trading post, um, even she, despite not being part of the Legion or the part of the Brotherhood anymore, she's also still very secretive, doesn't share a lot of information with you. You know, she still is a part of that culture. Um, and I think Father Elijah is just sort of the uh, indication of when that can be taken to the extreme um, to to get access to money or to get access to all this technology, you know, like in the, in the lore, you know, he's incredibly amazed by some of the technology, like the holograms at the Sierra Madre casino, where we finally run into him and all of this technology that he's after and the wealth and the power that that comes with it. Um, I mean, to me, I just think that a lot of people write off the um, brotherhood as sort of a one dimensional sort of, you know, faction, but I do think that there is, good reason to give them more appreciation, especially in a post-apocalypse.
1: Yeah. And, and, and onto that point, actually, um, uh, you do bring up the sort of the monasticism of it. Um, and that's pretty much exactly what the brotherhood of steel was based on. Um, for those familiar with the original fallout games released in the nineties, there's a, um, a science fiction book that was released, I think in the fifties. I forget the author. Canticle for Leibowitz. It's one of my favorite
0: books ever
1: yes, it, it's it's a very good one. I'd recommend all the listeners read it. it's It's not very long. It's very easy to read. You kind of it's almost this epic where you see a dark age following a nuclear war going into a new sort of golden age of space exploration and all that. Um, I think the quality drops on as the story goes on. But um, uh, but the Brotherhood of Steel was very much based on this sort of order of Catholic monks. That exists in a canticle of Le- a canticle for Leibowitz, but you know the Fallout guys just gave them power armor and guns, right? Like um, they are, you know, there is a sort of nobility to it. There is a sort of, and I think that's sort of keeping the torch of civilization alive, you know, finding all the technology that was used to um uh, to destroy mankind and keeping it from uh, from being used by anyone again. There is a nobility to that. You're not wrong. At the same time, I think Caesar in the game levies probably the best critique against them, uh, not so much when he calls them the worst impulses of mankind, but when he says, they offer no future. They're a dead end. And this is very much true. I think as a matter of fact, the Brotherhood, you can comment, you, know, you can comment on the rest of sort of the culture as it stands right now. Like right now, I call the West a museum culture. We're obsessed with museums. We're obsessed with putting everything in little display boxes and like you look at it and you conceptualize it, but you don't engage with it. Um, Even history, like for us, history is kind of locked away. We don't engage with certain eras of history and I'll leave it at that, um, that we probably should be engaging with a lot more because we live in this museum consciousness, right? There is no future. We're just past obsessed, right? We're obsessed with like super like preserving everything and making sure everything stays the exact same as much as we can while the world is slipping away around us. And that's what the brotherhood is. That's what they're doing. That's what they, um, um you know, they may have served a purpose earlier on in the, in the timeline, you know, earlier on in the first game and the second game, when it was only a couple of decades after the, after the apocalypse, and they're just gathering up all this technology because, you know, stuff, people haven't started to bounce back yet. But by the time of Fallout New Vegas, which I think is 2271, I want to say, I could be wrong, 2270, no, 2277 is when the game takes place, which is um, exactly 200 years after the bombs have fallen. They've, like, you know, we've gotten past tribes and, like, you know, nation states are starting to kind of be a thing again. Um So the Brotherhood, I think, you know, their only drawback is the fact that they're in many ways like the things they collect kind of a relic in and of themselves of a previous age uh, within the fallout continuum. They represent something that does happen and should happen, but kind of almost becomes obsolete as um, uh, the world changes around them. And Elijah, you know, taking it back to dead money, you know, Elijah is I think the peak antiquitarian is the peak sort of preserver is the peak one who sort of wants to keep things the way they were like, there's a secret, you know, Easter egg, you can side with him and end the game and release the miasma, the gas around the Sierra Madre casino to just completely kill everything in the Mojave wasteland or drive people out and just keep it perfectly the way it was. So, you know, Elijah and Dead Money, you know, he's he's not breaking into um uh, he's not breaking into the bank for money, you know. As a matter of fact, there's a character in the DLC, Dean Domino. He's sort of he's another one of these um uh, house types, like who became obsessed, who became single minded with this one, thing, uh, you know, revenge. But also, it started off as money, but then it just kind of turned into like revenge off of a slight to his pride. <laughs> if you talk to him. You know, Dean is a you know you can side with him or you can you know be friends with him, but he's not a good guy. Like he really did like use use a a much de- a long dead character, Vera Keys, and her drug addiction to get you know one over on Sinclair just because Sinclair's you know personality was an injury to his pride. Um, but Elijah is just one of these people who just wants to stop the clock who just wants to keep everything the same, who wants nothing to change. He's also sort of peak autistry, actually. Um, that's that's kind of how autists are. Autists want to stop the clock. Autists hate change. Like, like I mean, like actual ones, not like us. But, you know, it's it, super sensitive to information. You know, Ed Dutton talks about this um, super, you know, need pure structure, need pure order. Um, I don't know if either of you have anything to say about that, but that's kind of, that's kind of my take on Elijah, um, on the sort of Sierra, the Sierra Madre is a reflection of that. The Sierra Madre itself is an attempt to sort of stop the clock is an attempt to sort of begin again, to let go and be, uh, to, to, that was actually, that was the theme of the whole DLC is letting go. Yep. Um, and it's very obvious about it. And honestly, I think that that theme, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take back what I said about the Sierra Madre. Maybe the Sierra Madre material is meant to stop the clock. But the intention of Sinclair, the intention of Vera Keys um, is the best critique that I think can be levied at Elijah is that you need to let go of the past sometimes because the past is exactly that. It's not you forget it. It's not you try to destroy it or move on or erase it. You just let go of it. Those times happened then. These times are happening now. And Uh, every, sorry, every character in the DLC, including the courier, um, takes that to a certain extent. I'm sorry about that. I just want. Oh
0: no, I was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give some pushback towards the Mm -hmm. Legion, and then maybe we can. Um, because I think the Legion, uh, not the Legion, um, the Brotherhood of Steel, Mm -hmm. and then because I think Elijah, of course, is separate because he distinctly deserts the, the Brotherhood.
1: Conceptually, I think he has the same horizons, but go on.
0: I I See, this is where I'm going to disagree, because in both the original games, as well as depending on your choices that you make and whose side you choose with Fallout New Vegas... Uh, the 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 canonical for Leibowitz example rings very true that the Legion um, does integrate into the society. They do emerge from their caves and they lead the research and development sectors um, within, you know, California and various other parts of the Southwest. And I think that that holds purpose here um, because even now, when we take a look at the other characters and the other factions inside of Um, fallout new vegas especially that technology is still being vastly uh you know either misunderstood or uh misused or mismanaged i mean even the ncr right when we go to the helios one station it's being ran by some jackass that says he has a theoretical degree in theoretical physics right and the power station is working at one percent functionality because of it um or the simple fact that uh it's in the hands of one man and not someone that recognizes its power, which I think that the brotherhood has a better understanding. I think than even Mr. House does to some extent, the boomers just want to blow shit up and be left alone. Um, the NCR knows how to use things, but again, it's poorly managed. Legion only uses it when they need to. They're far more without it. And I, I just would push back on, on that instance um, just because I think that Elijah and the, and the Lee, or in the brotherhood are, are two separate deals uh, especially if you, as you start to actually talk to the Brotherhood, but again, unfortunately, with the Brotherhood in New Vegas compared to say uh, Fallout One and Two, or even Fallout Three, it's uh, it's also just a, a product of the development things, are they're not as well written as we would like them to be. But uh, Ace, do you have anything?
2: No, no, I uh, I was too poor to uh, go to the <laughs> PlayStation store and uh,
0: sort of uh, find out about that side of it. So no, but please go on um well i think i kind of might give us then a well because i don't want to like exclude you as we talk about the the four dlcs that are in there we can maybe save this for a part two but um if that's the case maybe we can talk about some of the other parts of the game that i think also sort of reflects its politics because the game is very much an american western um and the music in that game is just the epitome i think of that 50s americana western country music uh that's in there you've got you know uh dean martin you've got of course marty robbins and just so many other great songs and artists that are in there that we could talk about and i think it just it puts you in the mood so to speak for what you're in for because it is very much a western and maybe that sort of plays
2: into uh you know the fixation on going back to the, the pre-war America. Maybe that's sort of the the nostalgic angle. Maybe that's, you know, the, again, the paleo economy speaking out, but maybe sort of longing for that community and investment, even if it is past its expiration date. And even if we're sort of trying to not think about the end of the Spenglerian cycle, whether it's inevitable or not, I think, uh, you know, as, as Paul said about sort of the museum concept, which that's, I, that's a really good concept. I'd never thought of it like that, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, sort of preserving history without the, uh, the organic, the feeling side of it. I, I really do think that the, uh, sort of the, me- the neglecting of the, the metaphysical traits is, is probably responsible for that, but maybe, I don't know, maybe some of the more primitive, you know, maybe some of the, the fifties, you know, culture, maybe it's not deep, maybe it doesn't have to be, maybe that's all again, cause we're, you know, since we're criticizing democracy early on, you know, all, all the layman really wants is a, a very short select few things. And so some of that stuff that they latch onto, you know, maybe it's not, you know, so depthful, but I mean, maybe, it, uh, maybe there's still some value to it and uh, maybe there's nothing too, too wrong with grasping onto that stuff. But but anyways,
0: well, I mean, in the in not to reference the DLC, but they they the, they have that phrase, the old world blues, the uh, longing or the sense of belonging to the old world. And I mean, even as you walk out of the game and you're you see the first thing out of Doc Mitchell's house, I know that I am in the old west. Uh, my radio will tune into the music depending on the. Uh, the, the situation um, and or, or how my radio is tuned or what DLCs I have installed. And some of my first equipment that I'm going to buy is like a lever action rifle and a revolver. I am immediately um, playing in a Western oriented game in the coolest post apocalyptic science fiction setting that could possibly be. If I wanted to be, I can put on a duster hat and put on some armor and I can look like Clint Eastwood and a fistful of dollars and just decide to gun down whoever I need to, to make a quick buck. Like, there, there's a lot there. I mean, you're immersed, again, in this old world, um, and uh, we, we can go for it. And I mean, you don't even have to play the DLC to get a lot of the themes of, say, again, one of the other DLCs that gets brought in to Fallout New Vegas, which is uh, Old World Blues, which is mm-hmm. the weirdest premise to start with. Um, so you'll figure this out when you play it, Ace, but I mean, you literally um, find a, cla- a crashed... Uh, satellite right outside of nipton and at midnight it plays this thing and you are literally lobotomized and you are this walking empty-headed person talking to a bunch of robo brains that have been cooped up for a little too long so to speak
2: i know i I am uh, i am definitely missing out on,
0: on on a lot of
2: context for sure um if if you guys don't mind if we could back up a little bit i was curious prude you brought up that mr house does have uh interest in metaphysics i was curious what you meant specifically
0: oh sure so i think that you can make an argument for each faction having something that's metaphysical or um and at the same time not because the the way that you could say they don't have it is that oh they're just these like ghost dances of the old world but i mean if all we had right um this kind of reminds me of like the book of eli right that that movie um like if all we have is the old world, uh, to to build something new out of, um, then what would be our metaphysical first principles? It would be those visages of the old world, and I think that Mister House, especially, he clearly doesn't have a, a defined religious set of beliefs. He's not like he's talking about Jesus or he's talking about Odin or any other form of religion inside of the game. He sees the met the the faustian man sort of as his metaphysical principle he knows that man is meant to build and create and expand and explore and that because the world is pretty much tabula rasa, essentially like the old the old world is gone he he'll, he'll tell you that right um it can be built into something and to him it is the animating spirit spirit of the old american sense of industry, the old American sense of manifest destiny to to come out of there. So, like, he's got this talos that tells him that the world can be better, the world can be rebuilt, but um, it can be done in a way That if properly managed, almost as if he is trying to incarnate himself as God, right? Because, I mean, he himself is probably the closest thing to a God in Fallout New Vegas. He is pretty much omnipotent. No one has seen him. They know how he works, though, and it's in a mysterious way. And at the same time, it is, um, you know, like it's like that Isaac C. Clarke quotation about like a high enough level of technology would be indistinguishable from magic or divine action, And I think that that says a lot about where he is in in this world, um, especially in that case. So to me, I think that he himself inserts himself into this Talos where he is a part of the metaphysic Um, in the same way that Caesar looks to the Roman ideas and, you know, they call himself the son of Mars or whatever. All of these factions have something there. The NCR, of course, right? They wish and they look back to the civic religion of America through the NCR. It's the new California Republic, the American Republic. And even, um, you know, even Yes Man is basically whatever your first principles are. Fuck it. Insert it in there, man. Go wild. Uh, I just think that you could assign a metaphysical grounding to, to each faction. Um, rather than it just being a ghost dance. But, I mean, if no one wants to go that far, then you could say that, no, they don't. They're just um, these exaggerated caricatures of old-world factions.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. No, because, uh, you know, my interpretation, it was that it was very materialist. And so maybe that's, again, you know, this is going back so far. I mean, even the Fallout 3 political implications went way over my head, so... The idea of looking at Mr. House from that perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there is a lot of there is a lot of value in that for sure. But yeah, I, I could definitely see it that way.
1: Well, if, if 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 you want to go down this line of thought, then, you know, I think we could very easily compare the character of House to um, the character of Ulysses.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, who's definitely. The, um,
1: uh, who's the the sort of the the primary. He's the original Courier Six. He, he's actually mentioned in the base game. Yep. Um, you actually, you hear it when you go to prim, right. And you talk to, um, Johnson Nash, who was your courier handler, or at least one of the Mojave express people, like three things in the game, Ulysses is just mentioned, right. He's just offhandedly mentioned. He's like first dead beat who, um, uh, who took the job canceled. He saw your name on the list and he asked if you were, um, uh, still alive. And, he, um, uh, he said, um, uh, no, let courier six take the job. Like the Mojave would sort you out or something. Right. So, I'm um, uh, so that's the character of Ulysses and Ulysses has been everywhere. You've been, he is, he's literally like, he's a reflection of you, the player character. And as a matter of fact, he's like, you know, things that you do without even realizing it have consequences, right. You know, the lonesome road takes place in this, um, uh, you know, literal hellscape called The Divide um, that used to be the cities of um, uh, um Hopeville and Ashton, um, which is kind of right on the California-Nevada border. Um, and they were sort of a, um, uh, they were a place where a lot of nuclear missiles were kept. Um, and um, your character, before the game starts, the Courier 6 character was hired to carry a package from the ruins of, um, uh, of some you know, city out West to, you know, the area. And once they take them to the area, well, it accidentally sets off all of the missiles that were there under the ground. Like what, what um, uh, Ulysses calls the old world giants. Um, And Caesar's Legion was there fighting, trying to take the spot. And the NCR was there fighting, trying to take the spot. And it just, and, but even other than that, you know, Ulysses talks about this was a nation taking its first breath. This was a third sort of concept of a, a place that would have existed that was neither neither the ncr nor the legion but it would have been a third thing using the old world symbols that ulysses wears on his back he wears the old sort of a, a american flag as it was in um uh, you know the pre-war world which is different from our world um but you know that's the that's one of the the sort of the points he makes you know as, you were talking about how you know House inserts himself in the telos. I don't think Ulysses necessarily inserts himself in the telos, but he sort of sees the telos that was being created, sees sees that which was coming into being that he was going to be a part of. That he, you know, Ulysses was one of Caesar's frumentarii. He was one of the spies, one of the intelligence assets of the legion. But he had he had qualms with the legions. He was he's another one of these tribals that kept some of his identity right the twisted hairs he still wears his hair in dreadlocks which was the twisted hairs thing right and he actually he finds it you know he and he knows like like you know there's a scene in another an honest hearts when he's training the white legs which are the tribe that's the primary antagonist of honest hearts and you know he has one of his voice recordings he's like they did their hair in honor of me, but they didn't know what they were writing. And so he was reading things in each of their hairs because the Twisted Hairs tribe they would twist their hairs to tell stories. And he's like, I saw, you know, buffalo kills and um uh, and and love and all of this other stuff in their hairs that they didn't even know they were doing, right? And so you know, I, I'm prude, I'm sure you could you could come in and, and relate him in ways I didn't think of, but it's like that character of Ulysses, the sort of, and this is, I think, falls into the right wing's obsession with aesthetics, obsession with a sort of look, a sort of feel to any sort of ideology that exists that we uh, come across, right? There needs to be something tangible to it, something that like like summarizes the key aspects of it, the 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 the, the you know modus operandi, the, the the center, the key, what what Spengler would call the prime symbol in sort of one easy-to-digest thing that's, you know, there to see.
0: Well, and that's the the neat thing about Ulysses that I like about him, is, is that it's not just his character and where he's been through, but it's the fact that he has such an attachment to the old world. I mean, he... When we say it's like talking about like honest hearts and being the emissary to the white legs, he's called the flag bearer. He holds a flag staff, right? It's a weapon in the game that he uses against you. It is the staff of an American flag with the eagle head on top. It is, he is pure symbology. He names himself after Ulysses S. Grant of the Civil War. He has was saved from the explosions and the earthquakes from the, the nuclear weapons that went off in Hopeville and Ashton or Asheville, right? Um where it comes because he has the American flag on his back. And the uh old world medical ibots that see that are like, oh, he's an American. Uh he's not these tribal groups or they're not these foreigners that are on the uh, on the American soil, despite the fact that they're descendants of Americans. And I think what makes Ulysses so interesting um, especially because if we finally get to meet him in the Lonesome uh, Road uh, DLC, is, is that we as the character, um, we had our brains shot out by Benny, and we, have, we as the player have no recollection of this character's past life, of what he has done, and we have to take him at his word. Um, And he's just sort of this figure that has been in the, in the backdrop of all these other DLCs and as well as at the beginning of the game with, uh, with Nash, we just have no idea what our, our life was like. We had no idea as a player character that we set off the nukes when we were traveling around, that we're the creation of the divide, the destruction of this new world, or that we've had all these interactions with him. And because we're spearheading, this new world, right? We're the character that gets to decide who the next political figure is going to be. Who is the faction that is in charge? Uh, Ulysses is sort of this old world counterweight, despite having no real, you know, he wasn't born in it. He wasn't birthed in the old world when the, before the bombs dropped, he is seeing the relics of it and seeing what America was, or at least his own idealization of what America was, and he brings this out throughout The Lonesome Road is this comparison of, like, there was something greater. There was something that we could rebuild. There was this thing that we have are not appreciating, which is history, um, which is a total uh, anathema to the, oh, you as the player can decide. Whereas he is just like, there was this thing that we're all operating in the backdrop of, which was the history. And to me, even still, right, as an American and as, you know, someone with blood and heritage that goes back through the third generations of this country, just this country had greatness and he honors that and treasures it and he holds on to it despite living in this post-apocalypse. I'd almost
1: give me this is trite, but I'd almost compare him to Spengler himself, right, in, in how he views the world is that, you know, I, I made the point earlier, I don't know if you necessarily agree with it, that uh, I called Elijah sort of the antiquitarian, right? The man who who wants to put everything behind a bar, if, if not the brotherhood, then Elijah himself. Um, but Ulysses is different. You know, as you say, he wears the old world symbol on his back. He holds the flagpole, but uses it as he uses to do things, right? He's not some, you know, preserver. He's not some museum person. He looks at history as a thing to be used, as a thing to be, as a thing to be understood as not this like sacred cow that you can't touch. Right. And I think that's almost, and you know, sorry, I think that's almost similar to um, um what Spengler does in Decline of the West, where he takes all of these sort of histories, all of these narratives, All of these um, different stages, all of these cultural forms, and just compares them to each other to make something greater, to understand that there is something greater behind all of this. And, you know, and Ulysses, he sees the symbols in everything, right? Whether it be the twisted hairs of his tribe or it's the significance of the bear, or the significance of the bull, or the significance of, you know, the white legs and what they do, you know, or or the tribes he's fighting against, or, you know, the people in Hopeville and Ashton, or Courier Six, right? All of these things, he sees the power of symbols in everything. He sees the power of history in everything. And he, I think he's the most metaphysical character in the game, right? Even more so than Joshua Graham. Um, because he sort of sees how everything has a meaning and how everything is connected. And um, I think he's come the closest to the truth of anyone in the game, um, almost a sort of, um, uh, almost a sort of Buddhic. Um, I wouldn't say Buddhic in the sense of he's achieved enlightenment, but almost in a sort of um, transcending the, the sort of conflict, the sort of dichotomies that the game itself, tries to put you in the middle of.
0: I kind of think of him actually as like another player in the game not not like, oh, he's an NPC that's written this way, but like consider that he not only recognizes that oh like this is the United States that you're playing in and oh, by the way, this is all the destruction, the the consequences of your actions. But he also looks at it in the way that we are right now, like, talking about it, which is kind of interesting, because he'll express the critiques and the issues of every single major faction that you side with in the game. He'll, he'll tell you that the two options for an independent Vegas are bad, because it's like, he he says at one point in the game, something along the lines of like, New Vegas could be the birthplace of a new civilization, but I'm worried about what's inside the walls of New Vegas, which is both Yes Man and Mr. House, because Mr. House selfishly tried to preserve his Vegas that he owned, um, despite the fact that he knew that the war would come, and he didn't do anything about it. Um, and then of course, yes, man, right. Being the robot that he is could be just subject to either hacking corruption or whoever tells him what to do, which is equally concerning because who knows what that's going to be. And he he's actually, calling... I'm,
1: uh, I don't mean to interrupt your rant, but he actually like at the end of the playthrough you have with him, he tries to, he says, I'm going to make myself more assertive. So he's trying to sort of program himself into existence, which is yeah. another sort of Skynet threat. Sorry, go on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that too, right. That's just another issue with um, the independent option. And then, of course, he, he outlines his disloyalty or his issues when it comes to the NCR and the Legion. And it's neat that, you know, we as people who've played the game at this point, right, like the the Lonesome Road is like considered one of the last things to do in the, in the game um, before you either go to the Battle of Hoover Dam or whatever, uh, or even after, right? And he'll have commentary depending on which side you chose. And to me, it's just like he has gone through the same things that we have. He has observed everything as a player and he kind of knows what's coming, uh, which makes him the most like not only just metaphysical, but like as a constructivist, uh, he kind of gets it right. Like he's looking at things based upon how identities are um, uh, constructed, how they're um, contrived, why symbology and semiotics matters. He is probably the most interesting character in the game because he is the most like a human player in terms of dialogue and what he observes they are the same things that we're talking about right now. But I mean, that, I think that that gives us a good transition point though, as well as to just, You know, this is built upon, uh, albeit a 1950s um, retrofuturist America, it is still built upon the American identity, and you're walking through the ashes of it. I mean, Novak is a a town based off of a a no vacancy sign for a series of motels, right? And just all of these things exist within the relics of American history and American industry. And I think that's sort of a good place to maybe have our our concluding thoughts there. And I think I'll I'll start with Ace because it's just like we're walking through America. We're walking through, you know, the Mojave. We're walking through the Hoover Dam, which is one of the greatest architectural accomplishments of of America. I don't know if anyone's actually been to the Hoover Dam. I know I have. Yeah. I mean, just these great. Angels, the concrete steel angels that um, you know litter the place, and that it's one of the most monumental achievements of engineering of the time. Like, um, and you're fighting over it, not only just because it provides energy, but I mean it's also very symbolic that you're fighting over something that has stood the test of time uh, and that's distinctly American. So I, I think that that's a, a good place to talk. There is just like. This, what what does survive, in, 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 especially now that we're talking about how our nuclear weapons discourse has gotten so loose-lipped, um, what does survive in, in the ashes of America? Well, I
2: think if uh, – maybe this is a hope, but maybe if Caesar's Legion is sort of a wake-up call for a lot of people that can sort of see the, the spirit and the tradition that has been lost in the ashes of, uh, of America, and more specifically New Vegas – I guess uh, I don't know. I guess the Blackfield answer is really nothing. Nothing really survives for uh, in terms of uh, material, in terms of like raw value. I mean, I, I guess you. I guess it's not totally, you know, because it's it's very much like today. With uh, you know, is everything is anything really ever going to turn back around, or is 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 the American decline? You know, we. As Paul, we, we've talked about this before, but like the collapse, that's like a 2018, like a re- that's like the right wings, Reddit tier idea. You know what I mean? The collapse, you know, it's just American decline, just continuing, you know, that's the real, uh, the real black pill for the future. But I think, uh, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's totally foregone. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potential in people that, uh, can maybe learn from. Learn from tradition, and uh, maybe materially nothing really survives. But I think there is a, an inkling, maybe a tiny bit of uh, of spirit that survives, and maybe that's enough to uh, to sort of rally people, even if it's on a local level. Maybe it doesn't reach, you know, net, na- na- excuse me, nationwide. But I do think in these small pockets, you know, sort of like in the flyover states, things like that, you are going to find real value. And something that resembles the pre-war America, but uh, maybe don't have too much hope for uh, you know the the national <laughs> the national prospects. But uh, but that's okay. I think there's there's still a lot of hope. So. I guess my final concluding thoughts,
1: I mean, we've touched on I don't think there's a, you know, we've touched on pretty much all the broad strokes of the game, but there are so many, like, little details, little stories. I'm more than happy
0: to revisit this topic. This could be part one.
1: I am as well, but it's like, you know, there's so many things we didn't go over, but you know, I think we hit all of the major stuff. I I think we really did hit all of the the big, grand ideas that come in Fallout. Um, You know, Fallout as a piece of media that existed in the 90s is when it came into being. I think, you know, New Vegas was the last one made by like guys from the original team. And I really think Bethesda Fallout, you know, Fallout 3, Fallout 4 um isn't really the same thing. I think they just fundamentally misunderstood. You know, Bethesda's great at Skyrim. Bethesda's great at the Elder Scrolls. That's fantastic. Right. Like they they put good stories in a fantasy context, but they just don't understand Fallout the way these Obsidian guys did. These uh, Black Isle studio guys did. And, you know, as a as a piece of media, as a piece of of not just media, but Fallout New Vegas is quite literally a piece of American culture in the highest sense of the word. I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. I think Fallout New Vegas is a part of American culture, at least in the right wing. At least you know, you know, at least when it's not Redditified, right? That's that's the problem with a lot of new Fallout. Is it? It's it just becomes it's one of those franchises that Reddit will obsess over. But they obsess over like the dinky shitty T fifty one helmet you get if you pre order, or the fucking Pip Boy, or that you put your phone in or whatever and like, like, Oh, it's just like me in the video. But like,
2: Hey, I artistic- almost bought that in high school. Okay. So maybe <laughs> reel in some of that criticism. <laughs> you know?
1: But I mean, it, it the, 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 point stands, it's like, you know, you know, New Vegas was something different. New Vegas was something of a good quality. It was the highest, like I, I talked about video games. I think on episode two of mind phaser, we did when we talk about American culture, You know, video games were American art form like movies were, right? But video games were kind of strangled in the crib almost um, as an art form with potential expressive, expressive forms. And there's still tons of good ones out there, New Vegas being one of them. But now it's just another facet of social engineering like everything else, like, you know, your ready player one type stuff. But, you know... To sort of put a nice little bow on this, to return to my Spenglerian, but more than just Spenglerian, it's it's never been about Spengler and his theory. It's just because it makes sense, right? It's just because things work in cycles. It's it's I guess it's a lot more perennialist. But to to look at the eternal sort of nature of what gets brought about in Fallout New Vegas, um, the decline wasn't stopped by the bombs is the is the weirdest thing to think about is that the bombs was just a pause on the decline of american civilization and after the bombs american civilization just continued to decline just continued to go back into absolute just sheer sort of impoverished existence both culturally and quite literally so Unless something changes in the world or unless, you know, Caesar does come about or some grand, you know, new high culture comes about um, in, um, uh, in the world that created Fallout New Vegas, I don't think it's a glimpse into our future. I think it's also a glimpse into our present.
0: Uh, well, to wrap up my final thoughts, then I'll I'll say a few words, and then we'll let everyone chill and wrap up there. But to me, I think what makes the game great, and the reason why I mentioned it at the beginning, is because it is a pre-GamerGate game that is the ultimate expression of player agency. We keep coming back to it twelve years later because it leaves you, the player, whether it's your millionth playthrough or it's your first time with the opportunity to insert your political beliefs and ideology into a world that is open to your manipulation, machinations, and creation. And to me, that is a fantastic piece of media that you do not see in 2022 and beyond, because like Paul had mentioned, it kind of got strangled in the crib with this and is now a product of social engineering. Gamergate, I think, in 2014, and everything that has come after in the games industry... Is akin to the repeal of the Hayes Code in the mid 20th century with film. And uh, that we know flagrantly uh, through what kind of media got represented in film afterwards that got put out there. And we're now seeing the same thing with video games, where now it can be anything as long as it fits within this new ideology and the new political theology we're seeing out of the left today. But why do I enjoy the game so much and why do I keep coming back to it even if I side with maybe the same two factions over and over again? Is like I said, it is the quintessential aspect of what American culture was in the West. Even though it is like 2281 or whatever year it may be, I can go out there, I can turn on the radio, I can listen to Lone Star or Heartaches by the Number or Big Iron And I can carry, you know, a a revolver on my side, a repeating rifle on my back, duster hat on my set, and I get to play the quintessential American cowboy. Whether it's Fistful of Dollars, the Lone Ranger, whoever I decide to arm myself up with, side with, I get to be quintessentially American. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about the game. Not necessarily that it's a representation of decline, or that it's this question of democracy and history and autocracy and technocratic autarky, because all those things are in there. And like you had said, this is the perfect reflection of the American present, whether it's in 2010 or 2022. All those ideologies to this day still get talked about. There are liberal centrists that think that just one more open conversation with all sides of the debate will somehow synthesize a new way forward. There are those that want to return to tradition and engage in some kind of Roman-esque style of leadership. And there are those out there like neo-reactionaries that want to embrace technology and find some sort of authoritarian way towards a better future than what we're seeing now. And others, in an accelerationist anarchist sense, that just want to watch the world burn and let the robot run everything. And I think that's why we keep coming back to this game, because those ideas, in all forms and fashion, still get discussed, still get debated. And to this day, we're still figuring it out, whether we're looking in the past, like the factions in Fallout New Vegas, and uh, trying to see what the old guys were saying to make sense of things, or better yet, looking towards the future and seeing what we might just create. So those are my final thoughts for Fallout New Vegas. And I think that this is definitely just part one of many, I think, for future conversation, because... Like uh, Paul had said, that we only barely scratched the surface. So, um, gentlemen, thank you both so much for uh, hopping on. Um, we'll start with you, Paul. Uh, where can people find you, and uh, what is it that you do?
1: So, yeah, as I've said uh, liberally to many of my uh, colleagues in this sphere, I will never start a YouTube channel ever, even though I have one with one video on it. Um, but you can find me on my Substack um, paulfahrenheit.substack.com, I believe. Um, Fahrenheit four fifty one is the name of my newsletter. I write, you know, long form stuff. I write poems. I write short stories, um, and I just put it all on there. Um, I will be monetizing. I, I I don't think I'll be monetizing my any of my old shit um, at all. But I think I'll be writing. Premium articles starting May. Um, I'm not. I'm going to try to not stop free articles, but I also am, um, I have a podcast planned, um, on my own, which I will either go up on Substack or Gumroad, which I have many guests in mind for. So more to come on that. Other than all of that, you know, find me on Twitter at Cav King Paul, CavKingPaul, King That's C A V K I N G P A U L. Um, and see my lukewarm
2: takes and that's all i have well you can find me at loud sound epicenter on youtube me and thomas usually i also have a Substack. it's being neglected at the moment it's in my community tab in the youtube channel and then my twitter is probably my most active uh, social media aaron writer ac so that's where you can find me
0: Well, uh, again, thank you both for coming on. I'm sure that we will probably have a discussion sometime in the future to continue talking about this game, the politics behind it, why we keep coming back to it. I think that it's only two hours, but this conversation, again, just barely scratched the surface, because if people can still talk about it for 12 years on YouTube and blogs and whatnot, Lord knows we probably do, especially as politically inclined individuals, So uh, Ace, Paul, thank you so much for uh, joining me. To everyone else listening, thank you all so much. We'll see you all in the next post here on Substack or the video on the channel. You guys take care and be prudent.